Hi, hey, hello. Welcome to episode 20 of Trail Society brought to you by Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. Um, Episode 20, you guys, how exciting is that? It's so exciting. And I'm glad that you're back here as our host because I tried to do it last time and it wasn't the same. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, funny story. I like the podcast app was just going on my phone and I like had finished a run and whatever I was listening to ended. And then our podcast came up next on my phone and it was like our intro music. And then it was like, hi, hey, hello. And I was like, that's, that's not, not me. me. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I tried to. <laughs> it was very cute. It, ma- it, made me, it made me chuckle and smile in my little hotel room on Madeira. Um, but we just want to thank everyone like all of, all of you listening out there. Um, we wouldn't be here without you. You know, we, I mean, okay. I would definitely yell into the void, even if you weren't listening, but we're really happy that you do listen and that you share this with your friends and that you leave us glowing reviews and you like, you are responsible for creating this community. And we, I just, I think from the bottom of all of our hearts, we want to thank you for being part of our listening audience and continuing to share what we're doing here on the Trail Society podcast and within Free Trail. Um, so thank you so very much. Um, I think we're going to dive into some super exciting races that happened over the weekend though. Yeah. One of, uh, which you were in and I can't, we can't wait to talk about that, but yeah, this is awesome. Um, <clears throat> I'll start with Madeira. Um, so the, the mute, the Madeira Island ultra trail, um, I mean, there's many different races that happened that weekend, but the title, the, the title race, the, the big one is the 115 kilometer race. Um, and I hope you guys had seen like over free trail, um, Dylan had launched kind of for Canyons and for Madeira, like the, the picks, like the fantasy picks for, um, these races. So I hope you guys get a chance to check that out. It's a really cool interactive way, um, and way to kind of engage and kind of place your quote unquote bets, um, on who's going to win and compare your results to the actual thing. Um, but yeah, Madeira, I mean, Courtney, man, I was just blown away. Uh, she, she won with a new course record. She broke her own record. Uh, it used to be 15 hours, 17 minutes. Now it's 1440. She won by about 90 minutes. Um, Audrey Tange was second, um, a super strong French runner and Katrine Goats was uh, third. Um, I forget exactly where she's from, but her very own Corinne. She's Swiss. Yeah, she's Swiss, Swiss. And she's okay. so strong. She's, she's so amazing. strong. I know. I've raised both Audrey and, and Katrine and, and TDS, and they're like, oh, man, they're beasts. So, um, and then Corinne, you were eighth. And so we'll dive more into this, obviously, um, later in the episode. Uh, but, yeah, I wanted to also, and this is a question I'll have for you later, but I think that the conditions this year were, like, pretty dry, um, like, overall. But we can... <laughs> Maybe, maybe, you know, like the, the heat preparation talk we had a couple at the same time. It was ago. muddy. Right. If you've seen the photos of me finishing, my <laughs> legs are mud. mostly mud. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about it more. It was, yeah. uh, it rained, it snowed. It was not icy, but it was slippery out there. Yeah. Um, and so then the men, uh, Jim Wamsley, man, um, new course record, I think it was 12 hours, 40 minutes. Um, so it's just flying on this course. Um, Thibaut uh, Garvier uh, and then Jean-Philippe uh, Tishumi. Um, so some strong, some strong European runners there. Like I don't know really much about Jean-Philippe, but Thibaut, he was he's uh, Thibaut is legit, for. and yeah. all, there was a Hoka sweep. 
for the men's race, which is, which was very impressive. And yeah, Jim was just under 13 hours. I think like Mm -hmm. very impressive time Mm -hmm. on that course. Um, it was, yeah, very, I obviously, I did not get to watch it, but it was very (laughs) cool to see afterwards how well they ran. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then I feel like something to comment on is like maybe conditions are, or, or something, right. Cause Hillary, when you ran, it was a completely different time of year. Totally. And times were just completely different because the top man was like close to Courtney's time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, So that's, that's that's something I noticed too. I think the conditions were, I mean, it's always, I think pretty wet, but from like kind of the people that I talked to, you guys had icy conditions, we did, which was very different. Like I see and and muddy. I mean, I know we had, I think it was just different mud. Like it was pretty saturated because it had been raining for like months before. Um, and I know you guys had some rain during the race, but I, I had heard some, and our race actually got canceled halfway through because the, the, off the high point because of storms moving in. But I heard that there were some issues with like heat, um, like almost like heat stroke. Like it was just very dry, even though you guys got some rain. So it's just, it's so crazy how it can vary from year to year. Yeah. It's wild. Cause there were people that were super cold on course. Like I was getting updates from, and I got, I got cold, but as long as you kept moving, it was fine. But I was getting updates from our crew that like, Oh, like the women just in front of me were all so cold. Like they all left mm-hmm. the aid station shivering. Um, so it was kind of a weird, like, it, but there were also se- sections that were very warm. We didn't get sun. We got direct sun for only a little bit, um, on the course. Courtney finished in the rain. Um, it wasn't, we had varieties of mud out there. We had peanut butter mud. We had benign mud. We had, you know, just greasy, greasy stairs, but we didn't have ice that you guys had in November. Like you guys had some legit icy, um, sections out there. And I think I'm, my guess is that we got a little bit more daylight too, which yeah. uh, it's just easier to run when you can see right. the trail a hundred percent of the time. Totally. So I think that was that I think might be because, because traditionally other spring times for this race, even when conditions have been wet have been, were faster than what was in November. And the field right. was bigger here. Like I think the, between all four races in November, there was just over a thousand runners and between all four races, this past weekend, there were the most ever like 3,200 and mm-hmm. something runners. Um, the men, like the, the mutt, they're not the mutt, the mute, the, the big race, um, had just under a thousand mm-hmm. runners starting. Um, so just kind of interesting to see how that, how that played out. There was a small course change between the 2019 course and the one that I think you ran in the fall and the one and, and what we ran this weekend. Right. But, um, the, like the Levadas stayed pretty dry. The stuff, the stuff like on the South side, or I guess the stuff on the, the, like from the start was muddy. And then it got a little bit better. I think as the race went on, whereas I think you guys had pretty consistent, consistent <laughs> slickness throughout the remainder of the yeah. of the race. But we'll, we'll dive into that more. Um, well, I will say though, is that the, the mute race director during the pre-race briefing um, broke down every single race by participant um, numbers. And um there were like men, men versus women in each of the races. And I think in the big race uh, and, and like made good comments about it. Like, you know, like we're trying to increase these numbers, um, in the, like in the long race, it was 859 men and 117 women. Um, and then as you got shorter in distance, it became equal or more and more equal. I think in the marathon, the 42 K it was almost exactly 50, 50. And then in the 16 K there was actually more women than men. 
in that race. So, um, I think that tracks with everything that we've talked about this year, where the shorter the race gets, the more women are involved, the longer the race gets, the fewer women we see participating. And so trying to bridge that gap a little bit, but it was really cool that in his pre-race briefing, he made a point to bring that up and mention that and talk about, you know, that they're exciting to see these numbers slowly changing and, and shifting, um, with more women competing, um, in like the 60 K and the 85 K and the, the 115 K. So, yeah, well, I mean, even just the 115 K that's almost 60, 40, mm. like it's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad. So, um, they did it. I mean, just cannot speak highly enough of the race organization. They did a really phenomenal job, um, getting that many runners across, across the Island, um, on Saturday, but the other, I mean, many big races happened this weekend, but the other, I think key race that happened this weekend was the canyons hundred K, um, over in, in, um, Auburn, California. I was happy that I finished and was able to follow along with the finish of the men's and women's races. And they were just super exciting. I think once again, just like black Canyon hundred K they had three golden tickets on the line for both the men and women. So, um, so extra, an extra ticket up for grabs, um, which ended up, you know, playing out in an interesting, interesting way in the men's and women's race. The only woman on the start line who I don't think needed a golden ticket was Brittany, um, mm. Peterson because she returning top 10 Western States finisher. Um, so that it made the race for the golden ticket on the women's side, I think particularly compelling, um, Jasmine, uh, Lothar, Lothar. Mm-hmm. I should probably watch the Iron Far interval interview. So I know how to say her name. Um, cause I will have to pronounce it on Western States race day. We were told after her third place finish at Chuckanut, Hey, watch out for this Canadian gal. I think she's from Nelson, British Columbia. She's, you know, she does ski mountaineering stuff. She's very, very strong. Um, she was a second, she was one second under Beth Pascal's course record from last year. But I will say that Beth's time for those of you who are who don't remember this, Beth missed a turn towards the end and we actually sent her back out on course. So Beth's time was probably if she had run the right course the first time around, probably was about five to six minutes faster than, um, Jasmine this weekend. But because Beth missed that turn and had to go back out on course, um, Jasmine was able to sneak under that record by a second, which is incredibly fast on this course that I think has a net uphill. It's like 14,000 feet of climbing. Like it's not, it's not an easy, um, run, um, Leah Yingling, or as I think Keely put it in the results, Leah MF Lingling, you were so excited for you. I'm dying. I was like crying, like looking at Instagram stories. Um, her husband, Mike was out there taking photos. They're beautiful photos from the race, from all of all the racers out there. Um, she came through forest Hill in sixth place and ended up taking second. Like this girl closes Mm -hmm. like nobody's business. She was hunting Keely, uh, at gorge 50 K just a couple weeks ago. So she's, I'm so excited to see her race Western States. She came up just short at Bandera earlier this year where she was in a golden ticket position until like the last 10 miles. And then her stomach turned and she ended up finishing outside of the golden tickets. Um, so it was bound to happen. Leah finally has her golden ticket. Yeah. It was so fun to watch because I feel like everyone at Gorge told me that she is a huge closer. And so when I was turned around at the turnaround at 50 K, she was only like seven or so minutes back. And I was like, okay, yeah, she's right there. So I can't back off because everyone's warning me that she's really good at closing. And then just to watch her race the hundred K and just kick it up a notch and like, just go crazy. Closing was so, so cool. Going from six to second is so important for this kind of race too. So it'll be really cool to see what she does at States. Yeah. 
And additionally, I think she moved into second only in the last couple of miles. Mm-hmm. Um, she closed on the Spanish, the Spanish runner um, that runs for craft. Uh, I'm going to say her name is Arroyo Cio Seya. With like um, three miles left? Yeah, with three miles to yeah. left, that's when that, that change happened. So yeah. imagine if there had only been two golden tickets on the line. Right. Like how oh insane <laughs> would that have been? So um, really, really yeah. cool so um, Spanish runner mm-hmm. in third. So Kraft will have two women in Western States with Tessa Chester also um, getting a golden ticket at Havelina. Um, Ladia, I would say fan favorite, Ladia Albertson-Junkins. Um, and ultimately ended up finishing fourth. Um, I think she was in second for a lot of the race early on and um, ended up finishing fourth place. Um, she had a baby 15 or 16 months ago, uh, just at, or a set or is very close to the course record at um, chucking up 50K. Like, very, very fast runner. Um, she will get a golden ticket at some point again. She's already gotten one once before and be back at Western States. Um, just not this year. So hopefully she'll be out there crewing and spectating for someone. Um, and then the men's race, I think we were all waiting for Adam Peterman to win. Um, and not only did he win, but he set a course record. Um, as of, as of the, the recording of this podcast, Adam, Adam Peterman has not decided if he's taking the ticket or not when this comes out maybe that all been decided at that point because they get two weeks to decide before it can roll down to the next runner. Um, set the course record. I think we'd all love to see Adam Peterman run Western States, but he'll make the decision that's right for him. Um, David Sinclair, I know him from the Nordic ski world. Um, I was not surprised that he was second. I'm sure he surprised some people that he was second. Um, the guy has an engine, um, super great run for him. He, almost immediately, I think, declined his ticket. Um, and that will have rolled down to fourth place, which we'll mention in a second. And then Jared Hazen was third. Um, I'm particularly excited about Jared Hazen getting back into Western States. He's had a lot of change in the past year. Um, he started working with Jason Coop. Um, he left Hoka, which he's been with for a long time and is now a Solomon athlete. I'm really excited because I feel like he's taking ownership in his running in a way, like he's what, what he was doing was not working or wasn't working as well as it could have for him. And I'm really, really excited to see him be back at Western States this year again, and really put together, I think a phenomenal, hopefully a phenomenal race. I think he's so, so abundantly talented. Um, David Sinclair's ticket that he declined rolled down to fourth in Rod Farvard. Um, he's a East side guy, mammoth guy, um, Tim Tolfson, that was his pick for a golden ticket, um, for Canyon's hundred K. And if Tim Tolfson's rooting for you, you're probably a pretty good person to bet on. Um, I believe he has this one of the supported JMT records. Um, so the guy's is not unfamiliar for going long. He was part of Tessa's crew for Havelina. So it's really cool that that they will both be in Western States, um, kind of representing, um, I guess Tessa's back in Flagstaff, but kind of representing the East side, um, running. And then possibly if Adam turns down his golden ticket, it would roll down to Anthony Lee, who ran a great race for fifth place. So much excitement at the Canyons hundred K race this weekend. I was so it, bummed that I couldn't be there in person. It was so cool. I know it was so cool to watch. I was like constantly refreshing everything. <laughs> we were supposed to do live commentary for it this year. Um, we had ta- been talking, uh, Dylan and I, um, as free trail talking to the race directors about doing it, but we couldn't quite get the infrastructure in place for it this year. But I imagine with it continuing to be a by UTMB race, them adding a hundred mile distance to it next year, which seems a little crazy. Um, there will be hopefully live commentary 
um, at that event next year. So you'll get to, not only will I run far, hopefully be out there tweeting, tweeting out results. Um, but if we can put infrastructure in place that will benefit both Western States and canyons for, um, cell phone service and that kind of thing, we are hopeful that we'll, we'll be doing live commentary for this race next year. Yay. Yeah. I wonder what the hundred mile would be just reverse Western, reverse Western yeah. States. <laughs> well, you can't, you can't go past Robinson flat, right? Cause they'll want to keep the race entry field big enough. And that's like where that permitting mm, issue I think it. starts. So, okay. <laughs> Backwards Western States. I meant, yeah, I was like, what <laughs> net, net uphill Western States. Oh boy. <clears throat> um, a couple more races that were happening this weekend were a little faster. So they were more road or track based races. The first one being the 100K USA champs, and it was taking place at Mad City like it has, I think, for the past couple of years now. Um, and Callie Demergen, I don't know if that's how I say it, but her handles road running Remlin, in case you guys follow her. She was um, very like she was very open about having Rabdo at her last 100K experience. Um, and then has kind of taken us all through her journey of like figuring out how to not have that happen again and just being really open about her recovery. Um, and so it was really cool to see her win this one. So now she's going to go represent Team USA um, at World USH or World World Champs. And so that's really exciting. And then this, the first place guy was Zach Beaven, who is a roadrunner who kind of turned trail recently and just got second at JFK um, in he's 2021. Fast. He so also, he's a speedy guy. He broke the strolling gym record last year, which is like one of the oldest ultras in the country. Um, and it was a super old, I can't remember. It's, I think it's like a 40 mile race. I'm probably incorrect on that. Someone will correct me. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very old, very classic road ultra. And he broke the course record on it. And the course record is from like the eighties, I want to say, or the nineties. So it was, I know that it was over 20 years old, the record that he broke. So very, very cool that he was able to I'm, I'm excited to see more from him um, outside of some road stuff, maybe some fast trail stuff. Yeah, totally. Speaking of, of fast, we have another crazy endeavor going on at the Centurion running 100 mile race slash 24 hour race, kind of however long you wanted to go, I think, to find, to get a record. Um, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> clearly I don't race track races, um, but Camille Heron from the USA, we all know her. She was there going after some master's records. And she took home a ton. Um, some of the notable ones was she ran through 50 mile at 720 pace and then ran through 100K as a world record, not just a master's record um, in 739.06. So she beat her old record and then kind of called it a day after 70 miles. So didn't want to go the full 100, I guess. <laughs> I'd say that's a pretty good day. And then on the men's side, we had some world records there too with Alexander Sorokin beating um, Jim's 100K world record, I believe. Or I think no. Jim came up just short of the 100K yeah. world record. Yeah. Um, so this guy got the new 100K world record from the previous one that was standing. So. Yeah. He's Lithuanian and he's put together some, I'm pretty sure he's Lithuanian and he's put together a bunch of crazy track and 24 hour performances. Like he's very, mm -hmm. very fast. It's crazy. I think he's sub six minute pace for 100K. Oh my gosh. Gross. <laughs> so I want to be, I want to be sub six minute pace for like a mile. A 5K. <laughs> maybe, a mile, maybe, yeah. maybe three point something miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we had one more, um, race come up in the DMS, the whiskey based in 92 K. Um, and Elsa McDonald, she is no stranger to the ultra running world. She got first overall. So she won the whole thing. Um, and she's also running Western States. So that's a good, um, race to kind of piggyback into Western States with. Um, and she's one of the few people who's beat Courtney head to head. So 
So she's someone to look out for. That is for sure. Yeah, she I remember she ran Western States in 2018. And that was the year that she uh, beat Courtney. It was it was at like an early season golden ticket race. And it was like kind of wild. We're like, <gasps> someone can beat Courtney um, mm-hmm. on the trails. Um, so she's she's very, very strong. And when she's on, she's really on. So excited to see what she can do coming back to Western States this year. Um, but before we roll into kind of the the meat and potatoes, we have a little bit of news that we're going to cover this week. Not too much. Um, Keely, I'm wondering if you want to kind of intro, intro it a little bit. Sure. So Grace Stauberg is a girl who has been coming a little bit into the ultra running world, um, but she's most notoriously known for being um, an uphill skier. So a ski mo or ski mountaineer racer. Um, and outside launched an article discussing her eating disorder remission written from her point of view. So she wrote the, the article and it was really raw. Um, and it really just spoke to the struggles that, that girls and guys can go through during sport and how hard it can be for them to seek like help and to step away from their sport, but that when they do, they're able to kind of find their way again. Um, and so there's, you don't have to kind of suffer to no avail. You can take a step back. And so this article is just really good to, to just see that you're not alone when you do have those struggles and that you can take a step back and, and that's okay. And sometimes it's definitely the better decision. Yeah. I think we've all, we, she was a broken arrow. So she did the the triple crown there along, you know, alongside Hilly. And I think that, you know, she, she races a lot. She trains a lot. She's got big goals. She's super young. Like, is she 20 yet? She might be 19. Um, she's still, I think, a junior in the schemo circuit. Um, and I can't remember if they do a true U23 circuit. So she she might be 19 or 20. Um, and so, you know, she's got she's got a lot of pressure that she put, put puts on herself. And I think that it was a very relatable article. Um, definitely, I would agree, very, very raw to read about her, you know, just opening up about her relapse with her eating disorder that I think she's had since like middle school. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like there's an old trail running association or trail running article about, about that experience. Um, so it's just, it's very interesting to, to, I don't know, get to kind of reflect on another individual's experience with this. And I, and I do hope that her being open about it, you know, can help help other athletes see that they're not alone or maybe what they're experiencing is, you know, you know, has a name to it type of thing and being open about it, not being, you know, okay, I think is, is really important. And Amelia Boone, we've mentioned her a lot in the same, like in the same breath has been very, very open and very public about her own, her, her own struggles with eating disorders over the, over her entire life, basically, you know, probably started in a very similar place to grace as a young athlete. Um, Mm-hmm. And so I think sharing those experiences are important because it does kind of give us all a time to pause and reflect on our own, our own personal experiences and per- personal life um, struggles. Yeah. And one thing she did call out was that what, what, what we call from our body is a lot like our sports are extremely hard, but she was coming to points where she was questioning if she would survive, mm-hmm. like if she could physically survive it not because of just the sport being hard, but because of where she was at with her in her body and her health. And so it was just really eye-opening to, to remind yourself that what we're doing is really hard, but when it comes to a point where it's, it's beyond that level of, of suffering and of that level of difficulty, then we do need to start questioning things and think about the long-term goals. Yeah. So we're all, we're all rooting for grace to, 
to hopefully continue to find, you know, a path that allows her to be healthy and well and all those adjectives that are probably in, in their own regards, you know, maybe not the perfect ones for it, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, rooting for her with our whole community to, to continue to find, you know, a safe place to share these thoughts, but also, you know, continuing to find a safe place within her own body and within her, within her own sport. Um, so that we do get to see her when she racing, when she's in her twenties and in her thirties. Um, but she is a beautiful writer and she, I follow her on Instagram. She's got really wonderful kind of long form Instagram captions. Um, so keep an eye out for grace and, and send her your well wishes. Um, as she continues to kind of try to pursue both, both health and sport, which I think is a, a balance that we're all trying to strike. That's all I got. Well said. <laughs> well, yeah. So now, I mean, should we get into the meat and potatoes, Corinne, as you say? I love the meat and potatoes. I'm all about <laughs> the meat and potatoes and a side of pie. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to get all of that. I mean, I'm just so excited to talk to you about, um, I mean, we kind of did it for after my race in Madeira, but, um, yeah, like kind of doing a deep dive into Madeira and, and your race, like, I mean, just, there's a lot that goes into getting on a start line. Right. And I know like you, you kind of, if, I mean, everyone should follow Corinne, but if you didn't kind of know about, you know, Corinne's story and just like how, like how, what was it like for you to just stand on that start line, um, to be there, right. Like in Madeira. Yeah, I wrote about this a little bit this past week that the the goal of Madeira was to get to Madeira, um, was to be there on the start line and get to the finish line just after, you know, reflecting on what the last couple of years have been like. Like my last international start line was UTMB in 2019. Um, My last race was Black Canyon in February 2020, right before the pandemic. My last run over 50 kilometers was Tahoe Rim Trail in October of 2020. Um, and so after a, the pandemic and a year of, you know, dealing with a pretty serious injury, um, it kind of left me questioning if I could do the races that I like to do, right? Like would my body let me, you know, run 72 miles with 24,000 feet of climbing and descending? Like that was a very real question I had for my body. Um, and we've been very, very cautious in the build up to Madeira too. Like, you know, I haven't done the normal volume I would probably do for a race like this. I hadn't done the normal specificity I would probably do for a race like this. I, in fact, we went on our honeymoon, like for the first half of the month of April, which I definitely would not do, um, normally going into a race like this, but just kind of had to know that the goal was not necessarily to throw down my very best time possible, but it was to go and to try to just, you know, to, to get there and to make it to the finish and to kind of just have the confidence again, that my body would, would be okay with it and would let me do it. And I can say my pelvis did not hurt at all. And my quads feel like I ran down 24,000 feet of stairs. And so I think that's the right amount of, of discomfort post-race and, um, you know, no, no phantom pains from those old injury sites. And that to me was like just the sweetest, the sweetest form of victory. (laughs) Oh, I mean, I can relate to that super, you know, like it's like this uncertainty of kind of getting on a start line. Madeira for me was, you know, that same thing, maybe like not as long of a break. Right. But it was like a first big race and there's a lot of uncertainty that goes into it. I know we were talking kind of before, I think it was, it's cool to be able to have like a little bit of insight and like, Corinne, you're like, so where am I really going to be like, 
(laughs) where am I really going to be hurting? And I'm like, all right, I got you. Like, this is where it's at. This is where the race starts. Like, yeah. And I'm just, I mean, and, but it's just, it's this crazy battle to learn how to trust yourself again. I feel like, you know, and it's like, it's, it's in like, you're doing it in real time. It's like the hardest thing to do. Um, but I'm just wondering, like, cause it's one thing to focus for a 50 K right. But it's another thing to focus for a really long effort in this race. Like, you know, we started, you start at midnight. So like, you know, it's, it's totally opposite. So, I mean, you were acclimated because you were on European schedule, but how was it like the mentality kind of in the race? Um, did you struggle with that? Was it like, Oh, I got this. Like this feels familiar, right. To take a bit, just, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. That was a super interesting experience. Like coming like hanging out with my team post-race, like the next couple of days before we flew home on Monday morning, they're like, how are you so with it? Like you didn't sleep at all Friday. Then you ran for 18 hours. Now you're like totally fine. And, you know, they ran an 85K and they're, they're worked. Um, and I think to me, what that was is that I didn't have to go to the well at all. Like I hadn't, I hadn't done any workouts. Okay. Like I I've been running and I've been cycling, but I have done no, no workouts, no threshold workouts, no VO2 max workouts, no, no workouts were done in the buildup to this whatsoever. And so for me, it was like, I knew going in that I just had to do my own thing the entire time and whatever happens was going to happen. You know, the start was fast and furious and there were poles flying and we're going up this road out of town and there's all the adrenaline and energy of everyone running and trying to figure out your own pace within like these little like conga lines of guys, um, you know, making your way up these climbs and down these descents, kind of not feeling like maybe you're in complete control of your own, your own race right away. Um, but I didn't have to go to the well at all. And so my mindset was just really, I feel like very stable, like, you know, I never listen to podcasts or or music or books on tape or anything when I race. I, I totally do when I'm running normal training days, but I don't, I've never needed it when I raced. And I, I didn't have my mini phone with me for the race. Like I normally would carry. I had my, I had my, my whole, my whole iPhone eight or whatever it is like this brick over here. And, you know, I had my headphones in my pack just in case. Cause I was like, man, if I'm, if I start to really struggle, like I'll just listen to Harry Potter or whatever I've have downloaded. And I didn't need to the entire time. I just kind of like kept in the moment and kept doing what I needed to do from aid station to aid station. But I didn't have to go to the well, which I think was was good. But there was a moment. There was this moment where I was. We were catching catching guys. We were catching men and women from the forty two k and men and women from the sixty k. And I hadn't seen another one hundred fifteen k woman runner in. I don't know, probably since like the second aid station. So probably since like, you know, 30 K in or something. And all of a sudden I was, I saw that I was about to like catch and overtake an, a woman from the 115 K. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, what do I want to do here? Like, do I want to pass her going as fast as I possibly can? Like, like, do like, Oh, like competitive mindset, like totally clicked right back into place. Like, like it had never been gone. And I had to figure out like, oh, do I want to put my bib? Because I was wearing like an elastic band for my bib. So it wasn't pinned to me. And I was like, do I want to flip it around to my front so she can't see it? So she has to guess if I'm like an 85K runner or if I'm a if I'm a 60K runner who's got a second wind. Or I was like, or I was, or I was like, do I let her know that I'm a 115K runner by keeping it on my back? Because then she'll see it when I go by her. Or or because I, I was like, maybe she doesn't. I, the likelihood that she would recognize me is not super high. So I was like, maybe... Like, do I want to let her know or not? And it was kind of cool to like, have to click into that mindset of like, am I going to mess with this person? Like, are we competing right now? Or am I like surviving right now? And so it was a pleasant, 
a pleasant mental experience where I didn't have to feel like I had to survive, right? Like I wasn't surviving. I was just kind of in it the whole time. And that was really refreshing that I didn't hate it. I was worried <laughs> I was going to hate it or decide that I was going to retire from ultra running. Um, and I haven't decided to quit ultra running yet. So that was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a cool experience to just kind of get to like, like fall right back into that kind of flow and rhythm of a long effort. That's so cool. And I mean, ah, it's just, it gives me goosebumps hearing that. I think it's, 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 it's so cool. Cause it's, it's one of the hardest things to step on the start line is with the course, like that is intimate as intimidating as Badera after like a, you know, a pretty serious injury. So kudos to you. Um, I mean, but we have to, you know, you're the expert at heat training. We talked about this. I got to interview you, pick your brain, explore the incredible mind that is your mind, Corinne. So tell us, how did you execute nutrition (laughs) in a heat, in in, in a hot climate coming from a, like a literally like a snow vacation honeymoon? And how did you deal with the heat? Yeah, going from a going from a wintry honeymoon to a a tropical a tropical island might not have been the the best strategy there. But honestly, like spring ski touring, I think is kind of heat acclimation because you're just sweating buckets oftentimes the whole time if you get sunny days. Um, okay, so heat first, I guess the the race I don't think was overwhelmingly warm. There was only one moment, and it was on that big long climb that you warned me about. For those of you wondering what Hilly was talking about earlier, I legit texted her and I was like, okay, questions. What am I gonna hate? What am I going to love? When am I going to want to die? Like you fill me in. Um, and she told me that, you know, you climb out of, it's like the 63 or 64 K aid station. You've got a huge climb out of there. It's like a seven mile long climb. It's up to the most beautiful part of the course. It's if it's going to be sunny and warm, that's probably where it's going to be sunny and warm. Um, and we had kind of an overcast day. Um, like it rained on us overnight. It kind of rained on us intermittently, um, that day. And through this section, we actually kind of got this little bit of a break. Like it was mostly overcast. Um, and there's only a little bit, probably only a couple miles of the entire race where I was like, I am warm, but I will tell you that I did not do my, my, my brain wasn't working very well. And I was convinced that we had to go all the way to the 80 something K aid station before we got any assistance. And we're going up this climb and I'm like, I'm going to run out of water. Like, I'm not going to have enough liquid. Like, this is awful. I'm like, I'm going to have to try to dip a creek or something in order to get to the next aid station. Like, this is not good. <laughs> you know, and my stomach's kind of like, man, I'm like, okay, I would like liquid calories, please. Like dipping a stream in this mountain is not going to help me with that. I don't really want to eat any more chews. Like I'm kind of overeating. Um, just done with it. And so heat wise, not a huge issue actually out there. I think it can be notorious. I I think this race could be surprise hot for people, particularly in the afternoon after you've been running for, you know, 12 hours. Um, But I think we got very fortunate in the fact that we didn't have, it wasn't overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly warm. We got a little bit of solar, but I would say to me anyway, um, I don't think I'm particularly well heat acclimated right now. And I think we did okay with uh, the weather. Um, So no need for like cooling, cooling strategies. Um, out there, but there are a lot of levadas. There are all these like irrigation ditches all over the place that you could probably lay down in if you really wanted to. Um, but nutrition was kind of interesting. It was something that I don't think I've practiced super well in training. Um, and because of the nature of this trip in which I like was on a, a month long excursion and, you know, we were, we were traveling with ski crampons and ice tools and 
all sorts of weird stuff, skins and rope and stuff. Like I had a weight, I had weight restrictions on my pack, um, on my bag, uh, to get, to get from the U S to Istanbul and Georgia and then over to Madeira. And so I was kind of limited in, in what kind of nutrition I could bring with me. Um, and so I kind of hedged my bets and I bought, I brought like all, I, I, I made some mistakes. I brought all one type of nutrition. Um, I, um, it's a European race, so there aren't exactly gels out there. There's like cheese and bread and orange slices and lemon slices and, um, isotonic drink, um, which has got electrolytes and some calories in it and Pepsi. There's a lot of Pepsi out in the course. Um, sometimes cake and chocolate, but there's not like gels, there's cereal bars and there's soup and there's pasta and there's, you know, pasta sauces, but there are not, they're not gonna be gels out there. Okay. Um, and so your options for traditional, traditional, let's call it endurance fuel is kind of limited. Um, and so when I knew that I was going to struggle kind of like mid, you know, midway through the race with like continuing to manage to eat what I was eating, I kind of hedge bets with myself. I say, okay, you have to eat four goo chews right now, Corinne, and take some water. And then that becomes, okay. And that's every 30 minutes. And then that turns into, okay, I'm going to take two goo chews every 20 minutes. And then that turns into, okay, I'm gonna take one goo chew every 10 minutes because I'm just getting tired of eating. Um, and so this is a, I don't know, a common phenomenon that we're all familiar with. I didn't have any GI distress, but I was just like, not very interested in consuming food out there. Um, so I defaulted to things I knew worked with, worked pretty well. I did a little bit of research ahead of the race and I knew that the, that the sports drink on course did have calories in it, that it wasn't just an electrolyte. So I knew that drinking bottles of that would provide calories, you know, probably a hundred to 150 calories a bottle. So not a lot, but not terribly low either. And I knew that I could also eat food and wash it down with that, without it being too concentrated. So that was a big plus. Um, and so I was going to lean into that. I had some Roctane in bottles that my crew had on course. So I was going to lean into that a little bit. Um, and so I pivoted to a combination of bananas and liquid nutrition, I would say by the midpoint of the race, which I don't know, is it the, is it the very best possible scenario? No, not at all. Oh, I had one spring energy gel that Stephen Kirsch lent me before the race. And that was great. Um, because I needed something. Um, and I didn't bring any gels with me. All I had was Gucci's and Roctane, which worked until it stopped working. So I had one, one <laughs> gifted spring energy gel. Um, but you know, hundred calories is not going to get you that far. So I would say that I, I scored an, a solid, like C plus B minus on nutrition, um, for this race. And you know, that's what it's about. It's about learning, um, from your mistakes, I would say that ski training is also not the same as downhill running. Um, and so the downhills, like where did it, where did I mess up on this race? Um, nutrition was not perfect. was not great. And, um, and not being prepared to run downhill was maybe the second biggest mistake, um, I made. Like I just was kind of surviving the downhills as opposed to actually being able to really run them. Um, and some of them are steep and they're hard to run, but there was definitely places out there to move, to move much quicker mm -hmm. than the movement I was making. Um, but was able to maintain good energy throughout, I think by being able to put down a bunch of liquid calories, um, and was able to eat pretty well for the first, I would say like I, I made it, I made it to daytime, you know, so I, I made it through seven hours of the race being able to take in pretty solid nutrition. And I think that set me up for the, the back half of the race in which, 
I struggled a little bit. And so I think that that's really important to remember is that you got it. You got to eat early, got to eat often because when your stomach does turn, having those calories on board for those early hours, as opposed to getting behind from the gun, um, is really important. So I, I like would get dropped on uphills because I would like kind of slow down to make sure that I could eat for a second before I like picked back up again. And so, um, I was watching guys fly by me, like not eating. And I was like, we've been running for 90 minutes and I haven't had seen you have a snack yet. So, um, I think that was, I executed some of my nutrition really well. And I executed some of my nutrition really poorly. And it was all good lessons learned to take forward to TDS in August, which will be honestly a very similar race, I think. Yeah. And so then I begin, I guess the last kind of question for this is uh, about recovery. Do you think that, I mean, you've made it work, you made the nutrition work um, kind of to get you through the race. Right. But then how, how do you think that impacted your recovery and how is like, kind of, how is the recovery going aside from, you know, the soreness of the quads from all the stairs? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I got, I was fortunate in the fact that we ended at you know, I was done running by like 6 PM. I was, you know, home to the hotel showered and and made it to dinner. Um, you know, my, my team manager sat with me at the finish line and made me put down a bottle of water and some potato chips, um, before, before getting me to the car so that we could drive the hour back to the hotel. Um, and traditionally I don't eat very well immediately after races, as far as like being able to actually put food in, um, because I get really lightheaded, um, and very nauseous generally after races of this length. But I think because we finished at a reasonable time of day and I was on the right time zone, I actually was able to eat dinner that night. Like I was able to get in some, a little bit of a protein, some fats, some carbohydrates. Um, I, you know, was trying to be gentle with my stomach and with myself, but I actually was able to put in a, a good amount of food that evening. Um, my bigger struggle oftentimes after races is that my, is that my throat really, really hurts after races just from breathing for that long, um, to the point where it's like kind of painful to eat the next day. So I, I fall back again on liquid, on liquid calories and eating very slowly, um, and a lot of cheese. So I, I, uh, managed to get in breakfast and some smooth, like in a smoothie. And that's kind of what I default to back in the States too. When I'm racing is that I know I'm going to struggle to eat, you know, uh, French fries, which I would really like to eat because they're too, they're too crispy and they hurt my throat. So I default to, you know, milkshakes and smoothies and these things where I know I can get a bunch of calories in, but that's going to be a lot easier for me to consume. So I think I was fortunate in the sense that even though I didn't have the biggest appetite the next day, I was able to get in really good calories. Um, and then probably the best way to not recover is to have a 5 or 6am flight. Monday. So like 24 hours after racing, um, which made for a very long travel day, um, yesterday, which feels like it was a week ago. Um, and it's, it's kind of a miracle that I went from not being able to walk downstairs normal on Sunday to fully running through the Lisbon airport. And maybe it's cause <laughs> fight or flight kicked in because I was not going to make my flight. Um, due to, you know, all the fun, the fun things that go through getting through international, international travel. Um, but all of a sudden I was like legit running through the Lisbon airport. Like I ran up a flight of stairs and down a flight of stairs when I could not walk down a flight of stairs on Sunday. So, um, I would say that I've not, I'm not, I didn't exercise today. It's Tuesday. I probably won't. I'll probably go for a walk tomorrow on the beach, but I'm not, you know, the plan is to take this week super, super easy and relaxed. I might, you know, go for a bike ride for Steven's birthday this week, but it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not even worried about, about running, um, so that I make sure that I can recover, um, properly. And then 
hopefully get back into the swing of things soon. So I'm so excited to train for like the next thing, which is like really cool to come out of a race, just like really excited to, to, you know, kind of continue the journey. Yay team. (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. I mean, I think there's a lot of takeaways from that. And I love how you say it just, I mean, you know, it's a learning experience, right? Sometimes you mess up, but it's like you're learning and you've got now plenty of time to kind of take that into practice and and take it for TDS. Yeah. And in TDS, my same, my strategy is going to be to find an Italian guy who speaks no English and have him run directly behind me for like 40 <laughs> kilometers. And what he does though, is he yells at everyone we're catching so that they move out of the way. Like it was the highlight of my race was having this, like this, the super strong, like masters, um, masters athlete, Italian runner who he's just, he, like, I'd be like, you can go around me. And he'd be like, no, no, no. And he'd run right behind me. <laughs> he would just yell at everyone in front of us. And they would just like, the seas would part in front of us as we were yeah, running along. Awesome. So it's uh find, find a, an older Italian guy to chase around the mountains or chase you around the mountains. And apparently it works out. Okay. So, um, <laughs> it was pretty, it was, it was fun. Madeira, if anyone's interested in an April ultra and you, you I don't know, you don't want to run canyons or something else. Um, it was really, I can't, I can't speak like highly enough about the organization of the race. Um, And the fact that like, I think all the distances are pretty cool there. Like I had teammates in the 42 K I had teammates in the 60 K I had teammates in the 85 K. Um, and that was like, everyone had a good race. Like everyone, everyone's race courses were cool. They all finished in the same spot and they just kind of start further and further back on the Island. Um, so there was a huge group from Telluride and Durango that made it out. Kelly Wolf, like annihilated the women's 85 K. Um, she flew by me. Like I was standing still. I was like, cool. She's running right now. This is apparently not running. Um, so I don't know. I think if you're looking for a bucket list race and you don't hate stairs completely, um, and you're into bananas, I would go to Madeira. (laughs) Great selling point. Love it. (laughs) Two thumbs up. Two thumbs yeah. up for me on that one. Um, okay. I think we're going to talk a little bit, and this kind of ties into the Madeira conversation. Um, like we talked about how I like, I took the world's longest taper basically in order to go to Madeira and it turned out okay. Cause sometimes being, you know, quote unquote undertrained is better than being overcooked. Um, and you've heard us say this, I don't know, maybe a million times before we've only, we're only 20 episodes in. So maybe it's not a million times, but stress is stress is stress. Like your body doesn't know the difference between running stress and work stress and life stress. And so, you know, I think we're all kind of constantly asking ourselves and we get questions from people all the time. Like, how do you find, how do you find balance in all of that? Like that work life running balance. And personally, I'm in this camp that balance is kind of a fallacy. Like life is, is a series of kind of imbalance towards one thing or another. And that's okay. As long as you, you recognize that and you plan for that and you accept it. Right. And the biggest thing there, I think is that it's how you choose to handle those moments. Um, and I know Keely, obviously your job situation has changed a lot in the past couple of months. Um, but I've always been really impressed with your ability to be this like master juggler, right? I was like, Keely's got a big kid job. She's running all of a sudden she's got a big kid job and she's running and she's, you know, taking classes again and studying for the MCATs. Like I'm wondering, you know, as this master juggler, like one was that like, how sustainable was that? And how did you, or at least how did you find sustainability in it? Right. Like that's a huge question. 
Yeah. I mean, I think to your point, it's always a balancing act. So sometimes there are way like things that are getting more attention and less attention, but I'd say that I definitely didn't have it balanced for a while. When you have a full-time job that requires 50 to 60 hours of your time, even if you're not prioritizing it with a hundred of your hundred percent of yourself and also trying to race at our kind of level um, and all the other things that come with life, there's just really, in my opinion, not a way to balance it super well. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard. I think I am a really good juggler, but I think I also really, I like being a good juggler to my own demise. And so I don't think it's necessary to be able to juggle every single thing. And so one of the reasons why I decided to leave my job while, when I decided I wanted to go back to school and pursue running full-time was because it's like the first time in my life where I accepted doing less and that it didn't mean I was like failing by not being busy 120% of the time. Um, and really just, being able to channel energy to all of the things I'm dedicated to. So now like I can give hundred percent to running and I can give hundred percent to school and I'm not spread so thin that I'm giving like 70% of myself to everything, even when I'm giving it all my time. And so I, I, to your point, I do think it's always a balancing act, but I think if you only are spread so thin, even when you're giving like 100% of yourself to something, if you're spread too thin, it's, it's not as much as you could ever, you could give it in real life. Um, if you, if you had more time. So I really like having the time. It's definitely hard for me to, to be okay with a lot more free time. Sometimes I freak out a little bit, but, um, I think it's good. Yeah. That's that like perfectionist tendency. And I, I, I get it. I love being overextended. I function. I think I'm like, a, I don't know. I don't think I have ADHD or anything, but I think I'm like a, I call myself a lazy perfectionist. Like I like being overextended and I work the best on like really, really hard deadlines. Um, but that's not, it's not my cortisol does not like that nearly as much. And I think we all, we all coach really busy humans who happen to also have really big running goals. Um, and I'm wondering, I feel like I learn constantly from those athletes, right? Like they've got insane jobs. They have kids, they have, you know, significant others that are, I mean, obviously you want all these things to be important and to not get neglected. And so I'm wondering if either one of you have, have picked up anything or learned anything from like being able to be an observer in, in, I mean, our lives are busy, but the athletes that I coach, their lives are next level busy. It feels like. I learned so much from the athletes that I coach and I, I fall into every single camp that you guys do being overextended. Right. But you have to kind of draw a line of like, when is too much and when kind of things are merging together. I mean, something that I've, you know, it wasn't just, um, you know, I don't necessarily have like a boundaries of a nine to five job, right? So it can kind of merge. And so if you're trying trying to constantly balance that, I think I might fall into Corinne's category of like, I don't know if balance exists. I think there's like ebbs and flows. And so it's it's really trying to find when to put more time into something when it's like more important to do that, right? It's like kind of alluding to also to our off-season talk, right? Like we can't devote time <clears throat> to training all the time, right? Like sometimes we need to, to dial it back, but sometimes we need to dial it up. And then the, all those other things in our life, we have to find a way to kind of, to, to balance those as well. Um, but I'm not perfect at it. Uh, but I think there's some things that like, you know, we can hopefully teach and, and like show others. Um, like for, for me, it's just recognizing what are the most important things in my life, like maybe even on a weekly basis and knowing that I have to devote time to these categories more this week versus the next week and so on and so forth. Yeah. I think that's how that like imbalance 
imbalanced, uh, a balanced imbalance works, right? Like I tell athletes like, okay, not like you, we don't, it's not, and, and we'll talk more, I guess we use the term like sacrifice. It's not sacrifice. We're like making choices. Right. Um, and I'll say, okay, like this week, like this, like, and, and we're looking ahead, we're looking way ahead at the schedule. This is your big a race. And then we're going to backtrack from there. And it's like, okay, these are the weeks where I think, you know, running is going to be, we need to prior, try to prioritize this week. Right. And it's like your family's on board, works on board. You're going to make time that week or the, or like this week. And then a couple of weeks later to, to manage that, to manage that, you know, like you're not dropping the ball on the home front, on the work front, et cetera, so that you can still obtain those goals. And I think that's where that like balanced and balance comes into place where it's like, not every week's going to be like that, but it's really important to have, you know, to recognize ahead of time, like, okay, next week I am going to be training a lot and I might not be the best you know, I'm not going to be the perfect partner. I might not be the perfect parent. I might not be the perfect employee, but it's just that week. It's just this block. It's just this little phase. And then, you know, it kind of like, I'm like rest weeks and low seasons or, or low weeks. Like those are the perfect times. I think where it's like, okay, like running takes a backseat on those, in those periods and those weeks and other life things that maybe, you know, quote unquote, were neglected a little bit can like be be serviced again in a really like, and hopefully a positive way. So that it, at some point it's like the equilibrium of the whole year is in existence when week to week equilibriums kind of in maybe higher flux than usual. Right. Yeah. And I think if you are used to juggling four things and you've figured out how to kind of balance all of those, but then all of a sudden, if you're having your athletes tell you like when things change during the week and all of a sudden they're balancing seven, then you have to let them realize that, Hey, this week we're going to back off and running. It's not going to make your fitness decrease because it's just a week, but like you can't balance all six of these things and you shouldn't. Um, even if it is only for a week, because it's just not worth it. Mm. Now, if, if it's a whole change in lifestyle, then obviously you have to consider different things because you're going to have to train a little bit if you do want to pursue the sport or pursue these kind of races. But I feel like having them tell you about different things that are going on in their life lets them like almost see it and realize like, oh, maybe this week is a little bit more than I normally bite off. And maybe it's okay to pump the brakes on the training front or, or whatever it might be. Right. And something that like I'm not perfect at either is um, like getting on the road, right? Like, I mean, I have to, I love to get into my van life. Right. I love it. It's like, it's a great way to be able to incorporate, you know, training in real life, right? Like, I mean, I live in a great place here. I have access to trails, but especially if I'm traveling for a race or, you know, in a, in a place for a longer period of time, it is a disruption to my life. Right. But it can be a very positive way, but it's like, knowing that if I'm on the road, upping the recovery, upping kind of these other things that, um, could maybe fall, fall off if, you know, my regular routine is kind of disrupted. And that's something I learned for gorgeous, right? Like it was great to be on the road. I've done it before, but I don't think I nailed the recovery as much. And then also kind of the mental aspect. And so I was kind of left, like I was already, you know, going into the race, not, not tapered. And I just kind of fell like physically flat and mentally flat. So you know, it's not, it's not perfect, but it's, it's been, it was a huge learning experience for me. So now I know what to do for next time. Or, you know, as Keely mentioned, there's a reason why she did gorgeous. It was close to her home. And my next race is actually close to home for me too. So it's, you know, we're not perfect, but hopefully our mistakes can help you. Yeah. I think it's, it's all those things that there's a lot of like intentionality, I think there, right. It's like, okay, well, like, I, I love that you were like, okay, this week, what needs attention? 
Like I like that. Like I'm going to add that to my like little notebook thing. I'm like, okay, this week, what needs attention? Like what, what is the priority this week? Because I find that like things just get tacked to my to-do list and it just kind of keeps like, keeps like scrolling down. And so I think it's important to kind of set that intention and you can do that even in smaller in smaller doses too, right? Like I was listening to an interview with a Olympic biathlete the other day, and he was talking about how that's what he did for training this year. Like he's got a training, like part of his training journal is that before every training session, he's okay. What am I, what, what's my intention for this workout? I'm like, that's really practical. Like, okay. Like I could totally incorporate that. Like what's, and that makes like, okay, my intention today is like, this is a recovery run. Makes a lot easier to run slow enough for it to be a recovery run. My intention today, my intention in training today is a rest day. Makes it a lot easier to be intentional about that rest day. So I think the same thing can be said for these life things, right? Like, what's my intentions this week? What needs my attention this week? What are my intentions today? What needs my attention today? And then hopefully that kind of I think helps to, I don't know, balance balance that equilibrium out a little bit right. quicker, maybe. And, and one thing too, is like, that's how I think about it from like week to week. Right. And, and sometimes it can, it can train, it can change if I know, you know, I have a high, you know, block of training for these two weeks, but also something that's helped me too, is I might, I can be a little bit of a recluse and I can like just get in my routine and be like, I don't need anyone else. Uh, I'm just going to do me and go to bed at eight and, you know, get up at five and be running and just be in Hillary world. But the truth is, is we all need a team. And thankfully, I mean, I, like, I have some great individuals, not all of them, you know, live here, but still it's like, they've helped me to realize it's like, you need people. You need to be able to see people and hang out with people. And so realizing that, okay, well, if I have a workout tomorrow, maybe that tonight is not the night to go out late and like have a social night with friends, you know, if I need to prioritize sleep, but maybe like for a rest day, like if I know I have a rest day tomorrow, if I know I have a recovery run, like those are the nights where I could also kind of prioritize the other stuff. That's like very necessary. Um, because I can't emphasize enough training is great. You can spend all the time in the world training, having the most perfect training block, but a happy athlete runs the best and the most well-balanced athlete runs the best. And you have to pay attention to those other intangible parts of just being a human and not just like a robot runner. Yeah. I think being a busy person sometimes helps to create that balance a little bit. Like I know so many athletes who have like, they'll go full time and it's like, they have too much time now and they don't know what to do with themselves. And they, you know, it's like, you can only train so many hours of the day. You have to have other stuff going on. And so I think it's, you know, sometimes being not to say it's a blessing and maybe it's a blessing and a curse to be a busy human, to be doing a lot of things in your life, because it's like the blessing is that maybe it's hard to overdo it in any one area. And the curse is that maybe you want to overdo it in any one area, but I think that, you know, that's, it's important, important to recognize that. Yeah. There are going to be times where maybe you're not going to be the life of the party. And there'll be times where you get to be. And I think it's important to embrace, embrace kind of what, what akin to listening to your body, right? Like you have to listen to like those psychological needs too, and lean, lean into those so that you're not trapped in a, a training cycle that doesn't serve you either. Yeah. Yeah. I Love like it. that. Get this wisdom. <laughs> I love it. Can we slam it? Yeah. Let's slam it. Our favorite part of every episode. My favorite part of every episode. <laughs> um, and um, okay. So Society Slam, you know what we're about. You slide into our DMs all the time. 
Society Slam, as always, is brought to you by our friends over at Aura Ring. We cannot thank them enough. I think Keely was the first one to put anything in the document for Society Slam. So I think by default, that means she has to go first. Perfect. Um, I have a little shout out to start off. So last week, Kryn, when you were gone, Hillary and I did a little Society Slam. And I shouted out a local race org called Go Beyond with their trail, their mixed trail um, nonprofit like donation system where you can support runners who can't afford race entries. And since then... They um, reached out to me the other day and said they've got at least one person since that day came out and told them that they were donating because they heard it on the pod. So thanks to whoever donated. Um, they said that they are now a 4013C nonprofit, so you can write it off um, and that that donation is going to go fund someone's race entry. So there's going to be one new person um, towing the line at a start line this year. So thank you. I have chills, like <laughs> so legit cool. chills. That's so <laughs> cool. What a fun, like way to give back to the community in a, in a very, a way that feels very tangible. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have one other, um, shout out, sorry, I'm going to do two, but, uh, <laughs> the second one short as well, but it was also a DM, um, highlighting in a race in triangle, Virginia. It was a 24 hour adventure race and it was a small race, but the top four places were women. So hmm. it's pretty cool. This race company also has an all women's 50 K that they put on. And so one of their major, um, goals is to increase the diversity in trail running as well as increase the number of women participating. So shout out to them. That's amazing. So cool. We're going, we're, we're in all women, 50 K we're Ooh. in, you, you heard it here first. We're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Hillary, what do you got? All right. Um, so I have a really special one. So, um, just to go to show that our podcast, I think it goes, you know, more than just the running community. So a good friend of mine, Kate Boyle, she's a pro mountain biker for industry nine. She has an incredible story herself. Um, she has the FKT on uh, the Coco Pelli trail. She was the 24 hour, um, world, uh, mountain bike champion, um, in 2019. Um, so she's getting ready to do race worlds, uh, this in a couple weeks. Um, but she just sent me a little message and she, so I'm just going to read it. She said, I appreciate the celebration of the amount of food we're eating. Um, she doesn't have the leanest natural body type. And as a cyclist, the focus on power to weight ratio can be a bit haunting. Um, she just did a stage race and it was a five day stage race. And she said she ate 80 grams of carbs per hour and six meals a day outside of the race. She said it felt excessive for racing, you know, one and a half to three and a half hours a day, but it's what her nutritionist told her to do. And she said that she raced the last two days, um, the strongest that she'd ever raced and including said the highest ever 20 minute power by 20 watts, which is 10%. So that's huge on day five, which is the last day of this stage race and her highest 90 minute power that day too. So she, she felt like she definitely got stronger. And, um, she says that they don't have like a podcast in the cycling space like this. And she really enjoys listening to us because she can relate to a lot of what we say. So. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Gives me chills too. <laughs> I have more chills now. Yay, Kate! <laughs> Go and follow Kate. She's a badass and cheer her on for her 24-hour world. It's coming up. She's going over to Italy in a couple weeks. That's so exciting. That's so many grams of carbs. It's my goal. <laughs> and it. she's so strong. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, I do. I'm a little jealous of being on the bike sometimes where you don't get that stomach jostle. So it's a little bit easier maybe to cram the food in. Yeah. Um, okay. 
We are shouting out. I am shouting out. We've shouted her out before. Um, Jackie Hunt. Brisma is, uh, as of today, she's running her 100th marathon in a row. Uh, Jackie's an amputee. Um, she ran, I think, her 92nd marathon was at Boston. Um, today is April 26th when we're recording. So by the time this comes out, she will have, fingers crossed, knocking on the wooden desk that I'm sitting at, likely have set a world record for running the most marathons in a row. She found out like just a week or two ago that a woman like had actually run a hundred marathons in a row, which is the goal that she had. And so she's like, okay, I guess I have to run a little bit more. So she is running at least 102 marathons in a row. Um, We'll let you know uh, if she makes it, but I think she's going to. Um, it's I can't imagine that. Like I can't imagine it's it's so many marathons, it's so many miles. Um, she's doing it on a prosthetic leg. Um, it's just it's really really cool and it's very very inspiring. And um, we've we've shouted out Jackie out once before, and we're gonna shout her out again. And I'm gonna shout her out on Twitter every time that she runs another marathon in the next couple of days, but it's just, it's really, really cool and very inspiring. And, um, we, it's just been a thrilling, we've been following along for months now, which is kind of wild to think about. So congratulations, Jackie, um, on what you're doing. Um, very, very inspiring. Very cool to see. I think that's it. We're going to close out the show. So as always, right? Like, you know how to reach us, slide into our DMS, tweet at us i think that's what people do right you tweet at people um like follow subscribe all those things that you're supposed to do um big shout out again to our sponsors and support um at free trail and with aura ring we couldn't do it without them um so until next time we'll see you on the trails